Good morning. Welcome. And all those who are watching from home, welcome. I invite you to stand as we sing uh, together this morning. So you can sing. I have good news. On Father's Day, isn't that wonderful? What a great Father's Day present for myself. Uh, and uh, Well, and for everybody. Um, so I think masks stay on, but um, you're all welcome to sing as loud as you want. And that really brings joy to my heart because I got to be honest, me just singing by myself, it's obviously not the same, right? I just feel, oh, sorry, I'm kind of hearing an echo of myself at the moment. I, th- I was like, I'm hearing things. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so you're welcome to sing. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this day. Lord God, we offer up this day to you. Please have your way. And Lord God, we've come here to worship you and to pray and be transformed by your love, by your grace, Lord God. We love you. May we be pleased with the offering that we bring. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus. And now I can't remember if I said it or not. I know I welcomed everyone, but uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there uh, that are here and at home. Happy Father's Day. I hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, I still got to figure out what I'm doing with my dad. <laughs> happy Father's Day, Dad. Oh, it's funny. Uh, this morning, my daughter Olivia came down and uh, she said, Daddy, did you know it's Father's Day? And I said, yeah. I'd, and, and that was about it. <laughs> that was, well, I don't think they have anything planned at all. Ah, boy. Anyway, she also said, it was my birthday a couple days ago. And she said, uh, hey, Daddy, I have an idea. For your birthday, you could get a new video game. Because so, that's what she wants. So I was like, well, I guess that's what it is being a dad. Anyway, happy Father's Day. Oh God, how I need 
sort of this distant, powerful being, but he doesn't love us. And if he did love us, it sure wouldn't be like like a family, sort of like a father or, or you know, that he would come and die. Like the, the, the Christian understanding of God's love, which is true. Yeah, we can take it for granted because it's so familiar. But if you stop and think like, wow, God says that he's our father. He looks after us as, as children. And so if you're a father or a mother, if you take care of kids and you start to think about that, like, wow, I love my kids so much. I would do anything for them. And you go, wow, that's how God loves me. He's a father who would do anything to, to rescue me, to save me, to stop me from, from doing this. And then you also think too, as a father, you give rules to your kids. You, you discipline them because you love them. You know, because you don't want them to go down the wrong road. And so it really helps to put things in perspective when we, we actually stop and kind of reflect on God as Father, as a loving, a loving, good Father. And so this song I'm sure you're familiar with, it's called Good, Good Father.
with that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend All I know is I need you I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding The reasons away My heart needs a search My soul needs a friend So I run to the Father Searching my 
you that we can call you Father. Thank you that we can trust in you and rely on you. And even though you allow things we don't understand, and even though sometimes it seems like you're far away, Lord God, you are good. You are merciful. We can trust in you. And no matter what we've done, we can keep coming back to you again and again forgive us even if it's a million times no matter what we've done if we truly repent Lord God you wash us you clean us you forgive us and you welcome us like the story of the prodigal son you see us coming from a long way off and you don't just forgive us but you prepare a banquet Lord God you are so good Thank you, Tyler. Good morning, everyone. And happy Father's Day to all of the dads. And whether you're here or somewhere else right now, we want to uh, wish you a happy Father's Day and uh, hope you have a great day. At the end of our service today, we will have, uh, as you exit the building, there's going to be some treats out there for everybody to celebrate Father's Day, but it's only for the people who are here. Uh, we're kind of the reverse of the restaurant industry right now. We do everything but takeaway and home delivery. Uh, so you have to be here uh, to get it. So we're, we're glad that you're here and we'll share that together later. I also want to wish my favorite mother-in-law who's here today a very happy birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> Always trying to win all the points I can. So, uh, but anyway, happy birthday to you. Kids, JK to grade five, would you please go to the back around the edge and up, please? Awesome. All righty. Our scripture today is found in uh, Mark chapter five, verses 21 to 24. And it says when, um, sorry, here we go. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. He said, my little 
daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. When I was growing up, I loved spending time with my dad. This uh, picture here is actually dad spending time with me. And uh, it was, I just returned from two months in Brazil doing internship, and I was repairing my, uh, the washing machine, and my dad was hanging out with me. But I loved spending time with my dad. And since my dad's life was mostly focused on providing for our family, our time spent together usually centered around things that were essential for our family's benefit and even survival. Now, because I was the youngest, and some of you may be the youngest and you understand this, I often felt left out, and I often was left out, because they always thought I was too young. Even now, some of my older siblings still think of me as the young one that they got to protect and, and take care of. In late summer, my dad would always focus on the cod fishery and in order to catch and store enough fish for our family for the winter. And so I still remember the first time that he invited me to come along. I'll say inviting, but it was actually less of an invitation and more of a directive. Uh, nevertheless, I was thrilled that I was going. And so the plan was to take a beautiful 30-minute boat ride out the bay and to spend the night in a cabin and then the next morning rise with the sun and start fishing. I was so excited as we docked the boat and made the trek up from the beach up the hill to this little cabin on the top of the hill. Now I say cabin, but it really wasn't a cabin. It was really just a six by eight shed that had a bed in it. And when I say bed, it wasn't really a bed. It was really a sheet of plywood that we put our sleeping bags on. My father had many skills and talents, but cooking wasn't one of them. He could boil water, he could butter bread, but that was pretty much the extent of his culinary expertise. And so our meals over the next couple of days were going to consist of bread, tea buns that my mom had made, crackers, canned beans, and Vienna sausages. And so we were getting set, laying out all the supplies for our gourmet feast for that first evening that we were there when we heard the sound of a tourist charter boat come into the cove and anchor. And so all of a sudden, that quiet, peaceful air that moments before you could hear a pin drop was immediately filled with the sound of mainlanders. Now, mainlanders are anybody who's not from Newfoundland. And so all these tourists were on this boat. And before long, you could smell the smells of charcoal burning and fried onions in the wind. And so my dad and I went down to the cove to say hello. And they were preparing a feast. They had the biggest steaks I had ever seen in my entire life. And there were pork chops and sausages and salads and the mushrooms and the onions were frying in the pan. It was a great Father's Day feast, really. And I just stood there staring at the food. And I'm sure drool was dripping off my chin as I was thinking about their banquet compared to our banquet that was up in the cabin. It was probably the sight of this poor boy drooling that inspired them to invite us to join them for dinner. 
I mean, I was so excited. I was thrilled. I can't believe this. I'm, I'm going I'm to feast here. Until I heard my dad say, thanks, but, but we have our own meal <laughs> ready to go in the cabin. And my heart sank as we made our way back up the hill to our bread and Vienna sausages while those smells were wafting up the hill. My dad would never ask anybody for anything. And most often, if somebody offered him something, he would refuse it if it was offered. I don't know if it was pride. I don't know if it was awkwardness or embarrassment. I don't know if it was insecurity or a combination of all those things mixed together. But, but asking or accepting things from others was really hard for him. And sometimes I'm pretty sure he passed that down. Sometimes I'm pretty sure. Our scripture today is the story of a father and his daughter. And life had taken an unexpected turn in the wrong direction. And the father was faced with a difficult decision to reach out and ask for help in order to get his daughter what she needed. Now, we're going to be reminded today that sometimes life is filled with terrible pain. And you will have to make some of the most difficult decisions of your life. But if you're willing to trust God, he will bring you through. That's what we're going to see in our scripture today. So I believe there are three brief lessons that we can gather from this scripture today. The first one is expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Jesus had just returned from the east side of the Sea of Galilee, what was known by the Jews as the, quote, the other side, the bad side. People on the other side had asked Jesus to leave because he set a demon-possessed man free and it created a lot of chaos. We're not going to get into that, but they, they were uncomfortable. They, they couldn't handle it. They were overwhelmed with this whole experience and they just wanted Jesus to just to move on, to leave. And so, so he did. Upon arriving on the west side, he found the opposite experience. There's a crowd that's waiting for him there and they want him to come and they want him to teach them and they want him to work miracles for them. And so Jesus began teaching and as he's teaching, he was interrupted by a man named Jairus. And Jairus's daughter was very sick to the point of death. Now, Jairus was familiar with Jesus' ministry, so he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. Now, this is a significant act because in falling down before someone's feet, you're acknowledging their superiority and you're also acknowledging, admitting that you yourself are, are powerless and you're relying on them. And so as, as Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, he began to beg him to come to his house and heal his daughter. In fact, he doesn't use the word daughter. He uses a word which means little girl. I need you to come and, and, and touch and heal my little girl. It, this, this whole term carries the idea of affection and love and, and cherishing. She's special. 
She's his little girl, and she's dying, and he needs help. Now, Mark tells us that this little girl was actually 12 years old, and this is a significant age in the life of a Jewish girl. According to Jewish law, at age 12, every Jewish girl became what was known as bat mitzvah, and which literally translated means responsible female. It was a time to mark the coming of age of a female child. This was normally a very exciting time for the family. They anticipated it and they celebrated it as a moment of great joy. But instead of it being all that a bat mitzvah should have been, it was a time of concern. It was a time of fear. It was a time of sadness. The truth is, the only thing that is predictable about life is that life is unpredictable. We make plans. We chart our careers. We find that special someone. Our children are born. We dream about what life will be like. But the truth is... Rarely does life go as we plan or expect. Rarely in our dreaming moments do we visualize the disappointments, the heartaches, the pain that is associated with life. And it is true that life is filled with exciting moments of love and discovery and accomplishment and development and faith, but life is also filled with the unexpected, the difficult things, things that cause us to be afraid, to be challenged, things that set us back in life, things that break our hearts. We discover medical issues or learning disabilities, developmental challenges or diseases invade the bodies of those we love. We experience relationship breakdowns and betrayal, rebellion, abandonment, the impact of addiction on those that we love. The point I'm making is this. Life is filled with crises and heartaches and disappointments. And so there is a reality that we see through the life of Jairus that we must expect that the unexpected will come at some point in some way to our lives. We expect the unexpected. The second lesson we learn is do the right thing. We're told that Jairus is a synagogue ruler, and so he's a part of a special group of laymen who served at the temple, and he, his responsibility would have been organizing the services, supervising the worship, soliciting teachers and participants to, uh, to, to share in those services for each and every gathering that happened there. He was a part of that group. These were prominent people who were considered to be highly spiritual. Jesus was not accepted by this particular, well, the religious establishment as a whole, but even this particular group. He, he was not accepted by them. He was seen by them as a rebel, as a troublemaker. In their eyes, he was blasphemous. He, he, broke, he broke their rules. He created problems for them. He often embarrassed them, when, you know, as he, as he encountered them. And so Jairus was a part of this very religious leadership group that was opposed to Jesus and his ministry. And Jairus' colleagues and friends were angry at Jesus. They hated Jesus even. They wanted him off the scene. They wanted him destroyed. 
So Jairus would have been faced with a serious dilemma, don't you think? A tough decision. The group, the very group that he was a part of, would never approve of him going to Jesus and asking for help. But there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake if he does. He could lose his job. He could lose his friends. He could risk the rejection of his family. He could lose respect in the community. He could be banished from his place of worship. But as he's processing what needs to happen, none of this mattered to him in the moment because his little girl was dying and Jesus had the reputation of being a healer. And so regardless of the consequences, he was determined. He was going to find Jesus and put his pride aside and beg him, not just ask him, but beg him to come and heal his little girl. Now, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say anything. There's no verbal communication from Jesus. Jesus just set out in the direction toward the child, and the crowd just kept surrounding him and following him. Folks, when crises come, choices must be made. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Well, might I suggest to us today that the best thing to do, the right thing to do when we are in a crisis is turn to Jesus, to do what Jairus did. Now, sometimes that decision is not as easy as it sounds. Sometimes right decisions are not always easy to make. In fact, right decisions are often the most difficult decisions to make. And there are two primary obstacles, I believe, that often keep us from choosing to put our trust in Jesus. The first obstacle is ourselves. Crises cause us to fear, to doubt, to get frustrated, sometimes even to the point of blaming God and we turn away from him. And so instead of looking to Jesus in our time of need to help us, we turn away because we feel that he has let us down. A common response during hard times is to stop praying, to stop reading the Bible, to stop gathering with our church community. And I believe that when these times come and we make these decisions, these are some of the worst things we can do, especially not connecting together because the truth be told, I believe that one of the enemy's greatest tools and and approaches is to isolate us from others during our most difficult times so we feel alone, abandoned, and not cared for. And so sometimes our greatest obstacle is ourselves. And sometimes our obstacles are, are others. We become concerned with what others will think of us or what will they, you know, what is it that they're advising us to do? What are they telling us to do? People will question our faith in God. I mean, you know, how could your God, you're, you're, you know, how could he let that happen to you? You're a religious person. You're a good person. You're, you're, you know, you try to do your best. You serve God. How can you serve God if he would let something like this happen to you? Obviously, serving God doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change anything. 
Sometimes these are the things that we hear from others, and they become obstacles. I want to suggest this morning that we need to do the right thing despite what others around us think of us or are pressuring us to do. We need to block out the negativity of others and do what we know is right to do, what God would have us do. Because the truth is, the opinion that matters most when we are facing these unexpected moments of crises in our lives, the opinion that matters most is God's, is God's. It may may not make sense to those around us, but the truth is, it doesn't have to. We just do what we know is the right thing to do. Thirdly, never give up. Jairus' decision seemingly had paid off. Jesus was heading to his house. Hope began rising within him. If Jesus could just get there in time, his daughter would be okay. But suddenly, Jesus stopped. We're told that there was a woman in the crowd that had been very ill for many years, 12 years actually. She had used all of her money on doctors and there were no results, positive results. But she believed, like Jairus, if she could just get to Jesus, if she could even touch his clothing, she could be healed. And so she reached out and she touched him. Now we're told immediately Jesus noticed what had happened and sought to know who it was that touched him and this process unfolded and a woman stepped forward. Now, I don't want to segue into another story, even though Mark, when writing this, blends these two stories beautifully together because they really do tie together thematically. But my point today is that, you know, this event interrupted the journey to Jairus' house where his daughter lay dying. Imagine the anxiety that Jairus was expecting, or experiencing rather, as he was waiting for Jesus to deal with this woman who had stepped into the middle of the, of the journey in the middle of his story. I mean, just imagine, just come on, will you? There's, there, Jesus, come on, there's no time to waste. My daughter is in critical condition. Every moment matters. She's dying, and she's little. Just, just move it along. And while Jesus is still speaking with the woman, some men arrived and told Jairus that his daughter had died and suggested that he stop bothering Jesus because it was too late. It was too late. Jairus ignored what they said, and he looked to Jesus, and Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust me, Jairus. Trust me. I got this. <laughs> I got this. And Jairus had a decision to make. Whose words are he, is he going to believe? The man just came from his house. She's dead. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be okay. Which is he going to choose? He didn't argue. He didn't complain. He didn't ask 20 questions. He didn't debate Jesus. He just continued on towards his house, trusting that what Jesus said was true. 
Jesus separated from the rest of the crowd, took Peter, James, and John, and Jairus with him off to the house. When they arrived at Jairus' house, there was a great deal of commotion. It was customary in those days in biblical times to hire professional mourners. And because Jairus was prominent in the community, there would have been a large group gathered at his house to mourn. Funeral arrangements were well underway. And Jesus asked, why is there so much commotion? Why is all of this happening? He says, she's just asleep. And the mourners laughed at him. They started to laugh. Are you, you know, are you out of your mind? We've been here. She's dead. And Jesus just sent them all away. And he took the parents and the three disciples and he went inside. And we're told that he took the little girl by the hand and told her to get up. And immediately she got up and walked around and ate. Like Jairus, there will be times when we will have to face the unexpected. And in those moments, as we reach out to Jesus, we may start to feel confident, to have a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, it's going to be okay. But as time passes, the answers to our prayers are delayed. Nothing seems to be happening. And we reach a point where the reality of our circumstances cause us to question God and to even stop believing and to give up hope. And it is then in the midst of our disillusionment that God reminds us, and he reminds us through prayer and through the Bible and through worship and through the words of others that he is in control, that we don't have to be afraid, that we should trust him, that everything is going to be okay. And it's in these moments that we have to decide if we're going to trust God or just give up. Now, if the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us that God most often works on a different timeline than we do. Am I the only one that's noticed that? Right? His timeline is not mine. The Bible teaches us that God is not just interested in the work, you know, that, that he's doing for us. He's interested in the work he's doing in us. The Bible teaches time and time again that God comes through just when all have given up hope. The Bible teaches us that God has the final authority, that he is always in control, and that nothing is beyond his ability to overcome. So if those things are true, we should never, ever give up. In conclusion this morning, we learn from this passage, expect the unexpected. Do the right thing and never give up. Sometimes life is filled with terrible pain and you will have to make some of the most difficult decisions of your life. But if you are willing to trust God, he will bring you through. Would you stand with us this morning? And Tyler is going to lead us. 
And I just want to encourage you today, if you are here or if you are at home or wherever you may be, if you're facing the unexpected in your life and your world seems to be crumbling and you really don't know where to turn, if you feel like you've been waiting for too long and God hasn't come through and you're just losing hope, I just pray that today in these moments that you'll be encouraged, that your hope will rise again, that the Spirit of God would just encourage your heart, that He's got you, He loves you, and sometimes things are very different than they seem. And when it seems like he's not doing anything at all, he's working in your life. Tyler, would you lead us this morning? Deep inside my heart, I know you've won. I know you've overcome. And even in the Sometimes miracles take time. While I wait, I will worship, Lord, I worship your name. While I wait, I will trust you. Though I don't understand
pray today that by your spirit, wherever we are, you would minister and strengthen each and every one. Help us to find hope in you. Help us to put our trust in you. Watch over and be with us today. May your blessing rest on our families. Lead us and guide us. And should you tarry, Lord, we look forward to gathering together again next week. In your name we pray. Amen.